What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Darius Dale is the founder and CEO of 42 Macro, the leading macro risk management advisor. In this conversation, we talk about what's going on in the macro economy, what's happening in the financial markets, how Darius is looking at various metrics, and also what you at home should be thinking about as you invest your capital. I really enjoyed this conversation with Darius, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Exodus, the world's leading desktop, mobile, and hardware crypto wallet. They offer beautiful, user-friendly blockchain products that sync across all of your devices, making it easier to send, receive, and exchange over 150 or more crypto assets in one place. And with world-class customer service available to you 24-7, Exodus always has your back. But the fun doesn't stop with staking and trading. They recently launched a new NFT marketplace where you can buy and sell your favorite NFTs on the Solana network. By partnering with the popular NFT platform Magic Eden, they're offering the full Monty on verified collections, with more added every single day. Ready to check it out for yourself? Run, don't walk, over to exodus.com slash pomp for your free download today. Again, if you want the world's leading desktop, mobile, and hardware crypto wallet, go to exodus.com slash pomp today. Today's episode is sponsored by Abra. They're based in California, and they're backed by top VC firms. Abra is an all-in-one, simple, secure app that allows you to trade over 110 cryptocurrencies, get 0% interest loans using your crypto as collateral, and earn interest with up to 13% APY on stablecoins and 7.15% APY on Bitcoin. You can join nearly 2 million users by downloading Abra from the Google Play or Apple App Store. If you download the app today, you will get $15 in free crypto once you fund your account. You came, you invested, now conquer. Abra, conquer crypto. Go check it out today. This episode is brought to you by DeFi Technologies. DeFi Technologies represents what's next in the digital economy. They're providing simplified, trusted access to crypto, decentralized finance, and Web3 investment opportunities. Institutions and investors can gain diversified, secure, compliant, and easily tradable access to a diversified set of industry-leading equity products and protocols through a single stock purchase on a regulated exchange. DeFi Technologies is currently listed on the U.S. exchange at DEFTF stock ticker and the Canadian NEO exchange at DEFI. For more information or to subscribe to receive company updates and financial information, visit their website at DeFi.tech. I'm really excited about what these guys are doing. I've become an advisor to the business, and I highly suggest you go check them out. Go to their website at defi.tech today. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Obviously, we've got 8.5% inflation before you got here. Yes, you got it right. Uh, So we did our little prediction game. You were dead on. I said earlier, you went... Through the dart and just dart. bullseye, 8.5. You were the furthest off if we're, I, if we're I was. keeping score I, here. Well, I was the closest to real inflation, but <laughs> what, the what most your, off, what was your number again? 9.3. 9.3? 9. Yeah. And then you said at some point. 8.5? 8.5. 8.7? 8.7? 8.3? 8.3? You were the only one that was just way off. So I was second place because well, well, if we're playing the prices right yeah. rules, I was under and only... only uh, Again, it's... it's t- Everyone wins here because when you... when well, We were talking about this last time. 
when you look at inflation on an annualized basis, month over month, three month over three month, annualized, the stuff that really matters to the Fed right now, it's actually running at 11%. It's 10.8%. And so like we, we're talking about it growing 8.5% over the past 12 months. But if you look at the pace of growth over the last three months, it looks something more like 11% inflation. So obviously we continue to build momentum in the time series. That's a problem. So when you think about this, 8.5%, obviously uh, the numbers seem very skewed to tell a, as rosy of a picture as we can. Yeah. Uh, I think shelter now is like 5%, mm -hmm. but the rent and home prices are still <laughs> up, you know, 18, 20%. So yeah. like there's just all the things we've been talking about, even though shelter is 33% of the CPI index. I know. Um, it's like 40% you of your consumption it, if you're a human being. We're, <laughs> I, there's one data point in there that was like really, really eye popping to me. But when you actually look at all of the various components, was there anything that like caught your eye and you were like, I, this is what I'm paying attention to, or this is part of the components of CPI that I think people should be uh, more aware of? Yes. Okay. It's the first chart I sent you, second chart I sent you. It is all of the components of CPI. It's the median CPI. So you take everything in the basket, find the median inflation rate. And that is the, that's the, sort of the meeting CPI. So you can see how broad-based or not broad-based inflation is. And this is why I keep saying the Fed has a real serious inflation problem on their hands. We just hit an all-time high. If you look at the three-month, either year over year, or if you look at a three-month annualized, which we've been uh, looking at over the last few months, of uh, 6.4% for median CPI. This is the fastest rate of median CPI, median inflation we've ever seen in this country, like faster than what we saw in the 80s, 70s, and stuff like that. I don't even know if the time series go back that far, to be honest with you, but serious, it's a really big deal because it tells you that it's not just energy, it's not just used cars, it's not just auto, you know, all the stuff that they keep trying to, you know, pick and cherry pick to say that inflation is going to be, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. That, t that chart tells you that it's not only here today, it's actually getting way worse. And the other chart I send you, sticky CPI, which is the stuff that sticks around. So like things that uh, tend to have um, lagged price changes and and and, and sort of have uh, very lagged impacts on, on the cycle. Sticky CPI accelerated to 6.6% on a three-month annualized basis. I think that's like, you know, running five, north of 5% on a year-over-year -year basis. These are massive, massive problems. Like screw the miss on core. Who cares about headline? This is telling you that there is a real fundamental inflation problem in the economy. And if the Fed does anything that looks like not following up on its tightening path, we're going to have a real serious inflation problem in this country. We're getting 50 basis points next meeting for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. We better. Yeah. We better. But the problem you is- You think we're going to get 50? Yeah, it's not that, yeah, it's already priced <laughs> in. So the Fed doesn't like to surprise financial markets. So if they, if, if, if what is, they're going to, they're going to have to do a lot of talking between now and early May to get us out of 50, basically. So it's very likely we get 50 in May, very likely we get 50 in June. Asset markets support that currently, both in pricing terms and both in where the stock market is. But my problem is, and, and I fear, I fear for the the, the, the poor to low-income, middle, uh, low-income, low to median-income consumers in this country, that the Fed, after they do a couple of 50s, looks around and maybe sees one, you know, not in line, but just one decelerating inflation print and goes, okay, job done. And just leaves us hanging out here with six percent median CPI, seven percent sticky CPI, and that's I actually fear that as a possibility because you know these people are tethered to the stock market. Yeah, the the number that jumped out at me was ten percent food at home. Yeah, I mean just the average American family paying ten percent more to eat at home today yeah. than they did a year ago. Uh, 
they cannot sustain that for a very long period of time. No. And my fear is all of the things that we talked about previously around the wheat prices, fertilizer. Mm-hmm. We even got uh, in the U.S. the wheat market. Uh, we started to get some of the readings, and and it's much lower amounts of the wheat is actually high quality than they had predicted, et cetera. Wow. And so you start to like stack all this up, and you're like, man, if food prices all of a sudden we get to 12, 15, God forbid, 20% increase in food at home, yeah, that's going to be bad. This is how you get like like riots and pandemics, right? Like we're already starting to see it. I think like Sri Lanka was having protests, Pakistan. Well, Sri Lanka, yeah. uh, the central bank just uh, said they're bankrupt. The the so all right, let, let's go one by one here. Yeah. So the food thing, I think, w- was very eye opening to me. I was like, oh my god, like this could, even though it may not have a material impact on CPI itself, if everything else starts to come down on a percentage basis, and let's just say that we'll give the uh, the the anti inflation crowd. Uh, the assumption that, okay, inflation peaks in March, yeah. which do you agree with that or disagree? You think that it's going to peak? Year over year, it could uh, because base effects really materially steepen in April, but that doesn't mean the momentum is just dying down. Correct. Once you get past the base effects, you're still going to be at a very high level of inflation. That's the problem with the momentum. Yes. So I, I, that's generally my idea as well. It's like yeah. people are going to start to now just go headline numbers and they're yeah. going to lose the nuance. Context, uh, yeah. And and going into midterm elections, we're going to have politicians being like, victorious! Totally. <laughs> victorious, <laughs> we're at six and a half instead of eight and a half, you know? And, so. and, it, and if we didn't have base effect, it would really be like 12. Totally. 100%. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Uh, so I think that's a big problem. When we then go and we look uh, around the world, I recently wrote about it. Uh, I know Marty Bent wrote about it. A, a couple of different people uh, is we now have had two central banks slash governments, however you want to break it down, uh, basically say checkmate, like like game over uh, without restructuring because we had Lebanon, mm-hmm. which for two years now, they've been having riots in the streets. The, yeah. uh, the currency has been devalued significantly. There's been more than 50% contraction in the economy over the last two years, like yeah. just horrible situation for people on the ground. Totally. They basically go like, hey, we're done, right? Uh, and now they're coming on like, oh, we're not really bankrupt, but like, you know, wh- whatever spin they're putting on it, but like they're bankrupt. Yeah. Sri Lanka, which since 1948, they've never had an issue paying their external debt service. Wow. 1948 till today, never had one issue. They are very unique in that obviously you get all the undisciplined monetary and fiscal policy over the last decade. Yep. Going into 2020, you then get hit with the pandemic. Pandemic was important for Sri Lanka because of high tourism. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, if they don't have tourism, right, GDP, all that stuff, big issue. Then they get all of the uh, race between central banks to devalue their currency, right, on a relative basis. Then they get the uh, hit of uh, the Russia-Ukraine situation. Right, and you go step by step by step, and you're like, these people have been throwing curveball after curveball after curveball. And uh, I think it was Marty's point, which I thought was really good, was he was like, look, the weakest fall first, and so oh, yeah. Lebanon, Sri Lanka, like, oh, yeah. like they're not the Fed, right? Mm-hmm. The Fed has got like all the firepower, and these guys basically are knife fighting. Yep. The question is, are the two outliers, or are we going to see? more fall. And and again, they won't be Western developed nations where p- most of the people who are watching this show have to worry about like, oh my God, is my central bank going to go bankrupt? Yeah. But there's still, I don't know how many people are in Sri Lanka, but there's millions of people that live there. Totally. Right. That are negatively affected by this. And so like, do we see two, three, four, five more? I, I, like, how do you underwrite Is, is there a real material difference than a poor person living on $2 a day in Sri Lanka than a poor person living on $2 a day in India, Lebanon, Nigeria, Morocco? Like, is it really? No, this is the problem. And, and this is, this is why I don't, I think the sort of inflation around narrative on wall street is missing the point, which is what's going to cause 
food and energy prices to stop going up? Are we going to get a glut of energy or a glut of wheat, a glut of corn coming from somewhere anytime soon? Because no, if we don't, the supply and demand will dictate that the price has to continue to rise, you know, to crowd out the marginal buyer, to crowd out the marginal demand. And so that's my point. It's like we're forgetting that, okay, yeah, the inflation might peak year over year for a convenient narrative in the U.S. equity market or U.S. bond market. But that doesn't mean we're not continuing to build the risk that we see protests, not just in Sri Lanka, but in Detroit, in St. Louis, in Minnesota. And, you know, people are poor. Poor people, this is really is a really bad time, man. Yeah, it it. It just feels like they don't have the tools as well. Like the Fed still has some credibility left, right? Although people would argue it's probably diminishing. Um, many of other central banks, like their people don't believe them, yeah. right? And they and they don't have the ability to actually go after it. And one of the things we're talking about yesterday is like the IMF obviously gets called up when Sri Lanka saying, hey, we're going you know, bankrupt uh, and we need help restructuring our debt and, and payments and all this stuff. IMF's like a payday lender. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> are. I mean, they literally are a payday lender. But yeah. they're yeah. spending their time recently, if you look at all their public comments, yelling and screaming at El Salvador, which is using two currencies that they don't control, yeah. the dollar and Bitcoin, <laughs> and IMF is yelling at them. Yeah. But at the same time, they've got countries that they can help and yeah. service that are going bankrupt. Like, it just feels like we've gotten in this weird, like, virtue signaling slash uh, distraction world. Yeah. And and did they take the eye off the ball? Yeah. Who is they? Is that, that's the question. Who well, is even they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a huge piece of it. So yeah. um, what, what are you th- watching for now moving forward? So we got the high inflation, right? We've got obviously the Fed meeting. Uh, you think that'll be 50 basis points. Yeah. Like the market generally thinks that'll be 50 basis points. W- what is the impact if they go ahead and put for the 50 basis points? And how do you think about that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's again, most of the tightening has been, sort of front-loaded, and I think this is kind of what's missed in the mainstream narrative about growth, is that because of the Fed's very unique forward guidance feature, which, by the way, we've really never had this kind of forward guidance where the Fed is telling us, hey, we're going to do this at this meeting and this meeting by then and then and that with respect to its policy agenda and its balance sheet, we've seen so much of the tightening happen already. If you look at financial conditions, you look at real interest rates, you know, real interest the real 10-year tip shield, the 10-year tip shield, the real interest rate is up like 100 basis points month over month. Like, like the mortgage rate straight up to 5%. Yep. You know, uh, high yield credit uh, uh, yield uh, spreads and also yields themselves. Like the cost of refinancing debt is now more expensive than the existing stock of debt. It's the first time we've seen this in like, you know, 10 or 12 years. And so like we've seen a lot of tightening happen to the economy already. And so all the Fed's really doing is just kind of, you know, meeting expectations but what I think is missed amongst consumers and, and investors is that we're going to see a growth slowdown. It's coming. It's, you get ready for it. And it might be more persistent if the Fed has to do more tightening relative to what's already priced in. Yeah. It, it just feels um, it feels like they can't move fast enough. Like there's so much momentum on the inflationary forces that like even if they did 50 basis points, does it really have an impact? Like they talk so tough in November, December, January, February – that most people, I think, already moved capital that was going to move capital. And sure, maybe if they tighten, you know, up to, you know, 100 basis points, 125 basis points, whatever, maybe tech stocks keep falling. But, like, how much further can they really fall if you're already at, you know, I don't know, 20 times revenue? Could you fall to 15? Could you fall to 10? By the way, like, 
20 times revenue is a nonsensical number. Like you should be like two to five times revenue if you're a great business. Like, you know, like you, there is no valuation support until you get to a reasonable valuation. There's a long way down for a lot of these companies. So you think that it could still fall like oh, yeah. very, very far? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if this is mismanaged by the Fed, see the worst, here's the worst outcome because there's a uh, bevy of outcomes, right? The worst outcome is the Fed is getting incrementally tighter as growth is starting to materially decelerate. And it becomes this sort of gap between policy and the, the economy, which is what happened in Q4 of 18. The sort of base case scenario is that the Fed marches along, hikes interest rates, does quantitative tightening, and growth starts to decelerate faster. And the market's like, nah, dude, we need you to chill. Otherwise, we're going to go into recession. The bull case is that we get like some very you know sharp deceleration in inflation, which our models aren't, aren't projecting, at least not until uh, Q1 of next year. And we get a very sharp deceleration in inflation on a very near-term basis that tells the Fed to stop, pull back a lot of this tightening, and that growth deceleration is not as big because you get sort of a artificial inflation of real incomes. That is a possibility. I don't think it's the highest probability. I think the two higher probabilities are the bear case and the base case, which are both lead to lower stock prices, lower risk asset prices. As you think about them continuing to tighten until something breaks, mm -hmm. what breaks? Like, what do you think is the thing that Alarm bells go off. They say, all right, stop. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to borrow the work of the, the great Joseph Wong here. Fed guy is a really a great follow on Twitter, by the way. Oh, by the way, this was really cool. So I was at the uh, uh, ETF conference. I, I came after the, the conference to meet a friend. And uh, we went to the bar outside the Fond Blue. And the, this guy, Andre, shout out to Andres. He goes, I, I ordered to drink, tried to pay. He's like, oh, no, on the house. It's for you. And I'm like, I'm the like, bartender? Never, yeah, I'm like, I've never seen this guy before in my life. He goes, Oh, you're always on pop, man. I love you on pop. Let's go. Yeah. 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 What, was, what bar was this? We may have to go check yeah, it out. No, it, was the, it was the Fountain Blue Pool Bar. If he's uh, oh, yeah. nice. uh, drinks. Andre's from the Fountain for the Blue Fountain pool, bar. pool Bar. Anybody who goes to Fountain Blue, shout out Andre's. Absolutely. Go check yeah, him that's out. my guy. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is your guy. <laughs> no, no. Why am I bringing this up? What'd you ask me? Uh, in terms of until the, they breaks. breaks. Oh, yeah. Sorry. In terms of what breaks. So. Uh, uh, it's the, sorry, Fed guy, Joseph Wong was one of the people I, I told him to follow on Twitter. Um, so it, in terms of what breaks, like it's very clearly the treasury market that has a lot of risk, right? Because there's so much incremental supply. The Fed is now about to sort of force a lot of supply back onto the private sector. We're sort of getting clues that Janet Yellen is going to be complicit in that as well. And we just don't have the sort of pipes, the liquidity channels of, with respect to repo, with respect to transitioning cash out of money market funds and cash buyers really being able to take down the amount of supply. So you could see what he's been calling a potential air pocket in rates. And who's to say we're not part of it already? Like, again, nominal religious rates on the 10-year Treasury have backed up 100 basis points in like three and a, four and a half weeks. Like, this could be the air pocket we're in right now. And who knows where that ultra terminal rate is right now. But, you know, there's some people trying to step in and buy treasuries here. And I, I certainly don't disagree if inflation is peaking. That typically is what you would do. However, these sort of liquidity dynamics from an interbank perspective is something that needs to be respected because it is somewhat new relative to where we've been in previous cycles. Yeah. It, it also feels like um, Bitcoin Mm -hmm. has been uh, matured yeah. to now where it entered this conversation. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, I'm going to separate out in a very overgeneralized manner. You have the Bitcoin holders who are retail folks who treat Bitcoin as a uh, reserve asset. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, Bitcoin who is being treated as a risk asset by, I'm going to just call it Wall Street. Wall Street, yeah. And if you think of those two things, uh, historically, the people who treat it as a reserve asset, they don't give a shit about interest rates. There's, I'm a dollar cost average into Bitcoin, yeah. whatever. Uh, and that's, 
proven to be incredibly valuable. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, still up till today. Is there anybody that's owned Bitcoin on a three-year basis that's underwater? I think four years for sure is positive. I don't know about yeah. three. Three, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. three years would still be up to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, basically, if you hold it for three years, uh, historically, historically, you've been yeah. good. Um, the Wall Street crowd really cares about this stuff, though, right? And so now that uh, I think a lot about, like, the, the, the earth is shifting beneath Bitcoin holders a little bit of things that used to be undeniably true based on math. So I'll give you an example. Uh, correlation to tech stocks. You could look at the math and you could say sometimes it's correlated, sometimes it's not, but over a long period of time, it's non-correlated, right? Yeah. Meaning that, yeah, it fluctuates, whatever, but it's non-correlated. Since 2020, there has been a very high degree of correlation, including, I think it was last week, we hit an all-time high in correlation yeah. to NASDAQ. And so some people may say, oh, it's just a two-year stretch and like it'll go back to being non-correlated. Some people say, no, now that it's been quote-unquote financialized and Wall Street has adopted it, it's going to remain correlated. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. But I think that that shifting kind of underneath our feet is important because Wall Street also brings other things. They sell at the end of the year to go ahead and reap management yep. or uh, uh, carry fees. Yep. They sell for taxation. Like, totally. like there's all these components that go into it. And so it makes you reevaluate a lot of your uh, previously held perspective. Totally. And maybe you change your mind, maybe you don't, right? But like when things are changing, I fear that some portion of uh, the Bitcoin community and then the greater crypto community holds on to what used to be true, but they're yeah. not looking at the most recent data. Well, that's that's the that's the nature of finance. It's always changing, and this is why you know sort of what we do at Forty Two Macro is, is is we look at the world in rate of change terms because once you start looking at the world in absolute terms, you're very uh, sort of agnostic to and, and quite frankly, uh, you're victim of regime change. You know, you don't realize that you're a frog being boiled in a pot of water of inflation or boiled in a pot of water of correlation risk or things of that nature. And so what you really care about is the change in these sort of states, the change in growth, the change in inflation, change in policy, change in correlation, change in overall risk preference and risk tolerance. Like that stuff is what really drives financial markets forward or at the margins. So I think you're absolutely right. You're spot on to point out the risks. But I mean, whether it decouples or recouples, I'm not quite sure that that really matters because ultimately, you know, it's an asset that is designed to sort of, you know, kind of be a counter cyclical asset relative to a lot of the, the shenanigans that we're seeing from a policy perspective. And I would argue that, you know, because most tech companies are you know, at least the ones that are highly correlated to something like Bitcoin, those are disruptive innovate. Those are disruptive companies. These are the kinds of companies that are, you know, decentralizing everything and, and taking power out of the, you know, centralized players and, and putting them into, to, 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 to the, uh, putting them in the masses hands, generally speaking, obviously not every company, but so I do believe that there's probably something fundamental about why Bitcoin is correlated to those types of uh, enterprises. Yeah. What, what other questions you guys got, John, John? Yeah. Uh, I would just ask like, what you expect the average individual to do, right? Obviously, people are in different financial what should circumstances. They think about? Yeah, what should they think about when it comes to uh, protecting themselves for what you think inevitably is going to happen? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I say this all the time, like just cash is a very dangerous weapon in a good way um, for an investor in a time like this. Like, the, like we, we're, you know, the last two years, 2020 and 2021, I, I'll say this, I'm blown in the face, were so historic in terms of the drivers of asset prices. You had, you know, I was saying there's been like 10 quarters since 1960 
where like five things, these five big things are happening all at the same time. Accelerating growth, accelerating inflation, accelerating corporate profits, accelerating uh, balance sheet, you know, aggressive monetary easing, aggressive fiscal easing. Like that almost never happens together. It's usually counter-cyclical policy. There's a, and so all these things were like a plus, 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 check, 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 check for the financial markets. And that's why we saw such aggressive price appreciation in Bitcoin, crypto, stocks, et cetera. Well, with the exception of inflation, all those things are now moving in the wrong direction. And soon inflation will be moving in the wrong direction as well. So you're going to go from check, 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 check to minus, 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 minus. And so to me, it's like if, if you can't have the same positioning on as an investor that you did during this check, 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 check period as you do in the minus, 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 minus period, or you're going to get a minus on your test. You know, you're going to, you're going to get a failing grade on your test. And so to me, it's a very difficult time to trade and mismanage macro. It's a very difficult time. I mean, most people I know I talk to, you know, hedge funds, they're, they're, everyone's sort of like, man, this is just a pitch of a year, for lack of a better word. Cash as a retail investor is your solution. The hedge fund guys I talk to can't go to cash. The mutual fund guys I talk to can't go to 5% cash at most. It's the retail investor who has the opportunity to take a step out, book some gains if you're a long-term holder, and have the ability to go buy some good prices maybe six months from now, nine months from now. That's a, to me, that's you think a that's phenomenal gonna, You strategy. think that's going to be possible? Absolutely. I mean, again, unless we go, remember those scenarios, scenario, uh, bearish case, bull case, and, uh, and there's a base case, bull case, and bear case. If we hit the bull case, inflation collapses, we inflate real incomes, the Fed can back off. That's very can bullish relative to where we are now. I just don't think it's the highest probability outcome. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting because... Uh, I've been thinking a lot about uh, some of the major hedge funds, names that people would know. I'm not going to say any of them. Uh, some of these guys are down 20, yeah. 30% yeah. year to date. Yeah. Uh, it's bad. And this is coming off bad years last year, too. Yeah. yeah. Like I, 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 was exactly talking, talking I was about. talking with one guy who's got, you know, billions uh, in his hedge fund, pretty well known. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I sat down next to him uh, and I was like, how you doing? Not like a, how's your business doing? Just like, how you doing? And he was like, to be honest, this fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh, like, yeah. and, and he just was like, yeah, he's like, it's tough. It's, it's hard. It sucks, dude. Right. Yeah. It, it, he, and you could just, you could just feel the energy of just like, we wake up every day, we're doing the best we can, but we're just taking it on the chin right now. Totally. Right. And we're just getting punched and punched and punched. And the hope is that they can raise more capital, that they're going to be able to uh, kind of buy their way out of it at lower prices mm -hmm. and, and kind of all is good at the end. When you're dealing with billions of dollars and you're playing a game where also your world is very much held to just equities, for example, totally. a lot of these guys, they can't go into gold or they couldn't go into Bitcoin. Or they couldn't go like- Their investors like, wouldn't let them. It's just, yeah. hey, this is your game. You got to play. You got to play within this box. Totally. Not a lot of things you could buy. Not a lot of things you can buy. And, this, and, 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 and let's be, let's be um, one, there's a couple of things I make. This is the definition of prospect theory. When you ever have a, a billionaire who's, who's disappointed- you know, it tells you that that it's not about the outcome; it's about the expectation and how whatever the outcome, it, the relationship between the outcome and the expectation. So clearly, you know that's something. That's this is why financial markets were function on rate of change. Um, and number two, it's like I don't really feel that bad. I mean, you you probably made a ton of money. Again, go pull up a chart of any financial asset. Start the chart from the end of 2019. You know, let's say pre-pandemic, and it's straight up and to the right, except for the last kind of three to four months. You know, you know, maybe you go to ARC or something like the Russell 2000, it peaked in Q1 of last year. 
but you've made a tremendous amount of money in what has been a very historically bad time for the average human being. Mm -hmm. So, you know, investors shouldn't feel too bad that we're going into this very difficult time, this minus, 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 minus time. It's just part of the cycle. You just have to have patience. Patience is the number one thing in investing, right? We all know that. It's hard to be patient sometimes. But you just have to have patience and have to have the ability to sort of go read a book, you know, raise some cash, go read a book, and, and check 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 the price six months from now. You know? w- would uh, uh, things like Berkshire, where do they fit in? Are, are those like, uh, I, I think of that as just like the quintessential like value investment, yeah. right? It's lots of cash, yeah, like all this type of stuff. Very low beta stock. Do, yeah. do you see a lot of, uh, of these institutions just being like, screw it, like let me go trust Uncle Warren and just buy some Berkshire? Or are they trying to outsmart that as like a, a simple strategy? No, no. If you're, if you're a mutual fund investor, someone who does relative performance within the market, Berkshire is an obvious, it's obvious place to put your money. One, it is a fortune balance sheet, but number two, it's it's a low beta stock to begin with. Insurance companies tend to be very low beta. They tend to do well relative to the broader market mm-hmm. in times like this. So Berkshire is a great place to put your money. Again, these are the kinds of questions that I have. These are kinds of discussions I have with people who can't take the money, take their ball and go home. Yeah. So I'm having very different discussions with certain types of investors. But if you're remaining in the market, then obviously the answer is, the Berkshire Hathaways of the world, the the the, the, the energy companies, the consumer, you know, the very mega cap, you know, ain't going nowhere. Consumer staples like Walmart and stuff like that. You know, this is the kind of market where managing risk is a, is of utmost importance. It's not about making money in a market like this. If you're going to be participating in a market like this, you'll be thankful to make money. What you're trying to do is avoid losing money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. Uh Offense versus defense. Yeah, totally. We're on defense right now as investors. Be aware of that. I want everybody to be aware of that. The championship teams usually say, you know, defense wins championships. All the teams who don't win the championship, they say offense wins championships. 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> right? That's how it always 100%. works. We, uh, we are, are, I'm not sure we scored more than 15 touchdowns when we won the championship, but we had the number one defense in the country. Yeah. <laughs> Hall of Famers say yeah. they're both Nobody important. scored on us. Yeah. <laughs> What? I said Hall of Famers say they're both important. Know when to be on offense, know when to <laughs> no be on one, defense. That's true, yeah, totally. Where were you dropping that knowledge from? <laughs> from my knowledge back. I got a question for you, Darius. <laughs> so my question is pretty simple, and I know it's hard to guess, but is a recession coming? Are we going to see two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth? Great question. So uh, it's still too, as I mentioned, it's still too early to determine that. Yeah. We are certainly on a path towards one. Um, the, here Again, you, I think you still have to go through the bear case or the base case to get to one. The base case will tell you it'll start kind of like middle of next year. The bear case is, you know, we could have one sooner um, or sort of, um, you know, one sooner rather than later. So uh, it's too early. But if we do get a recession, we're, we're, we're still growing comfortably above trend from a GDP perspective. So we have a lot of slowing to do to get us into a vulnerable enough state for an exogenous shock, which typically is what happens what causes a recession. You're at a very below trend, vulnerable state in the economy, and then you someone runs by and just kicks you in the nuts. You know, that that typically is what happened. Like you, you know, you drop to your knees. And so we need we're not there yet. We'll be in that, in our opinion, at least according to our models, we'll be in that vulnerable state kind of Q1, Q2 of next year. And so that's when you could potentially have one. But again, it's not the recession that matters as an investor. It's the path to recession and what that means in asset performance terms. That's what we're trying to get right. Yeah. It, uh, I think a lot of people also in the market have 2020, there was an economic recession that lasted for like four weeks. Literally right? four, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and when they hear recession, like, ah, whatever. I think that if we have one, it's going to be a little bit longer than, uh, than yeah, just the no, emergency, this, you know, totally. two, three, four week one. Totally. Uh, and so there's a lot of people came in the market, uh, young people mm-hmm. who they may get a crash course a little bit in, you know, true, true market corrections. 
Yeah, I had a great crush, uh, conversation with Chris Sidio over at Amber's group yesterday on our, on our platform at 42 Macro. He, he, he showed me this chart and it was like kind of like eye-popping. So normally the U.S. equity market has this very sort of it's skewed. It's like the, the relationship between implied volatility on puts and minus the implied volatility on calls. And typically the implied vol on puts tends to be much more expensive uh, on than calls because everyone's generally long risk assets and downside protection tends to be uh, overbid relative to upside protection. There's more of a kind of a asymm- or, or symmetric like smile now. It used to be a, a skew. It's called skew, but now it's like a smile. And that was he saying this is indicative of that that sort of brazen character of this sort of this new bull market, which is people want upside protection. People are still yoloing basically in the stock market and other assets. And so we haven't seen anything yet. If the, the liquidity conditions, you know, kind of uh, sort of evolve in a manner that we think they're going to involve, the growth dynamics evolve in a manner that we think they're going to evolve, you're going to see a real inability to sustain that kind of positioning in our opinion. I uh, uh, think that you guys are doing a fantastic job. Where can we send people to oh, learn thanks, more man. about 42 Macro? Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Uh, 42macro.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, 42macro, D-Dale, D-D-A-L-E. Look forward to connecting with everybody, man. This has uh, been, been a great, great experience. I love hanging out with you guys, bro. We love it, too. I'll leave you with one last good laugh. Uh, Joe found this tweet. Um, Zero had just tweeted out, said, well, this is awkward. The Twitter board has hired Goldman to advise if the Elon Musk $54.20 offer is too low. The only problem is that Goldman has a sell rating with a $30 price target. <laughs> That's Wall Street, baby. Hey, y'all should accept that shit. Yeah. It's almost oh double what we think it's this worth. Is, this is the, this is Wall Street, unfortunately. And I, Goldman's I, gonna change that to fucking hundred dollars a share by tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> we thought it was like, worth Elon, thirty. We y'all running it with Elon two hundred, and, yeah. and you wonder why Bitcoin exists. <laughs> oh like, this is Wall God. Street. God, that is that is. Just oh my god! I see you guys. I appreciate you very much. (laughs) See you you next week. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.